Do you like yourself? Can you love yourself? Can you trust yourself? Welcome to episode 279 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Mary, Paula, Allison, and Barbara. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Mary, Paula, Allison, and Barbara for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes. We believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experience. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I will be your host today. And I have a couple of readings here today. I think I'm going to pick the one from May 22nd from our book, Courage to Change. I used to think that if I ever looked carefully at myself, my secret fears would be confirmed. I'd see that I am hopelessly flawed and unworthy. Alanon has shown me that if I face the effects of alcoholism by working the steps, this belief will fade away. I'll see the truth I've avoided is my own inner beauty. I am powerless to change the fact that alcoholism has affected my life. Only a power greater than myself can overcome the effects of this disease. I call upon that power for help with the second and third steps. These steps help me to trust that, although the ground on which I stand may quiver, I will not fall, for I am held firmly by one whose will is not so easily overturned. Regardless of how shaky I may feel, I am safe. Such a spiritual foundation makes a truly searching and fearless moral inventory possible. Only when I risk taking a close look at myself can my fears give way to the truth. As a child of God, I am all I need to be, loving, lovable, and splendid. And the uh, the quote, I now choose to rise above my personality problems to recognize the magnificence of my being. I am totally willing to learn to love myself. You know, that's quite a statement, isn't it? I was inspired by, when in a meeting recently where the topic was the fifth step, which is admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. One member shared that she often had a hard time even liking herself. And she found this as a barrier to working step five, but also I think that having worked step five, she found that she liked herself better. It isn't that interesting. By admitting our faults to somebody else, we can actually come to like ourselves better. Huh. You know, I identified with both of those feelings, really. But the how can I ever admit this feeling much more strongly, I think. There are definitely events in my life that I have felt a lot of shame about. There are events that I did not admit the first time I did step five. And there's one that I'm thinking of in particular that I did not admit the second time I did step five, which was, I had been in the program for 10 years at that point, And there was still this thing, this thing that I felt so much shame about, that even though I knew that I was loved, and I really trusted the person with whom I was sharing the exact nature of my wrongs, this was something I still was not ready, was not willing to admit. 
maybe to myself, maybe to God, but not to another person. Hmm. This particular incident, this particular event, had haunted me really for over, at this point, over 30 years. Yeah, it's a long time. It was more than half my life at that point, definitely. Definitely more than half my adult life, maybe three quarters of my adult life. I don't know. And every time I thought about that incident, every time I remembered it, I had this real flush of shame and self-loathing that, that washed over me. And as, as it happens so often, I went to a meeting, you know, just a regular meeting, nothing special, one of my regular meetings. And the reading or whatever that we had in that meeting talked about included this saying that we are only as sick as our secrets. And I thought about this secret, the secret that I have kept for so long. And I realized that it was making me sick. I realized that I had to talk about it, but I didn't want to, but I had to. So I called the person who had received my fifth step most recently, and I said, you know, there's something else. There's something else. Can we meet? And we did, and it it was not easy. You know, I really had to to push myself to uh, to talk about this thing. But it it really was something that I had to do. I really felt at this point that I had to do it, and so I did. A few a few words at a time, admitted the exact nature of my wrongs in this incident. And you know what happened? Yeah, what happened was pretty amazing because since I did that, the memory, the thought, the feeling of this event has totally lost the power that it used to have. I can bring it into my head and I can say, yeah, I'm not happy I did that. That was really a effed up thing that I did. But it has no power over me now. It does not drag me down. It does not fill me with shame. It does not make me hate myself. And the only thing that changed was I said it out loud. I told another person. I had told myself. I had told my higher power, but I had not told another person. And it brought me peace. It brought me love and compassion for myself. You know, I was a, I was an imperfect person 40 years ago now. I did some stupid things, but it's not who I am. It's not who I am now. And at the time, you know, I was doing the best that I could with what I had, I think. I give the other people in my life a whole lot more slack than I give myself. You know that? Is that true for you? It seems to be true for a lot of us. We give the other people in our lives a lot more leeway, a lot more ability to be human and make mistakes than we are ever able to give ourselves. Why is that? Why don't we trust ourselves to do the right thing? Hmm. And that same weekend, I went to church, and the topic of the sermon, and I sit down, I hold the, the program, and it's at the top it says, actually, I sat down and I looked up at the front, and, and there were a couple of TV screens up there, which we have sometimes for doing some multimedia stuff, and it said, trust thyself. So on top of 
the thought from the day before of like yourself, love yourself, or not liking myself, not loving myself. Now I sit down and I know we're going to be talking about trusting ourselves. And I thought, there's a message here. I'm getting a message from the universe. I'm getting a message from a higher power that this is important. Yeah, and I'm talking about it right now, aren't I? So I guess it is. Yeah, there was a message, loving myself and trusting myself all in the same weekend. And you know, that the feelings that I have sometimes that I've had in the past that lead me to not like myself so much, and the feelings that I have sometimes that lead me to not trust myself, they're pretty similar. There's this inner voice that I can listen to when I'm not feeling so centered, not so serene. Maybe you have this voice too. This voice says things like, you're not good enough. You can't do it. You can't do it right. You can't do it at all. You're always wrong. You're always screwing things up. You're so stupid. What? What were you thinking? I can't believe you did that. Yeah, that voice. It's really hard to shut that voice up, isn't it? I'm not sure I can shut that voice up, but what I can do is start to learn that that voice is usually wrong and that I don't have to listen to it. I don't have to believe it. Yeah. So in her sermon, our minister said, hey, I've got four C's of coming to trust myself. And I was hooked. I was totally hooked. Four C's, you know, we got three C's, we got four M's, we got six P's, we got three A's. Now I got four C's. What are they? I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm waiting. I want to know what those four C's are. Yeah. Well, I actually kind of did because they were printed in the program of the service, but I'm not going to tell you. You're going to have to wait. What are these four C's? Well, the first C, the first C, and man, I connected with this. This connected with my program right away. The first C is clarity. In order to trust myself, I need to see myself clearly as I am. If I know my assets, if I know my defects, if I know where I'm strong and I know where I'm weak, then it's a lot easier to trust the decisions I make, to trust the actions I take, to trust the feelings I have, because I can know, are the, is this coming from a place of strength? Is this coming from an asset? Or is this one of my character defects? Is this one of my weaknesses trying to fool me? You know? And when I can see that, and when I can say, yeah, this, this is coming from a place where I'm strong. This is coming from, not coming from a fear, a resentment. Then I can trust that decision. I can trust what I say to myself. You know, in the 12-step program, in the program of Al-Anon, or whichever 12-step fellowship you might be part of, the whole like center of the steps is about clarity. Obviously, we have the inventory in step four, coming to see ourselves as deeply and as thoroughly and as fearlessly as we can at the time. That gives us some clarity. 
Step five, really determining, listing the exact nature of our wrongs that come out of the inventory from step four and really admitting it to our higher power, admitting it to ourselves and, and this is so important, admitting it to another human being, saying it out loud to somebody who, you know, has the power, at least in my head, has the power to judge me. When I'm able to do that, I really have some clarity about what's mine. Step six and seven deepen that clarity. Step six, in step six, I have to come to own those parts of me that I'm not wild about, those parts of me that I want to change. I have to come to own those so that I can be entirely ready to have them removed. And in step seven, I have to say, yes, this is me. This is who I am. Please change me. Please help me change. That's that's my understanding of step seven. You know, and there's more clarity there, more clarity about what I want to change, about the fact that I do want to change. Steps eight and nine bring a different kind of clarity. In step eight, we make a list of all persons we had harmed and become willing to make amends to them all. That's a different kind of clarity. So, you know, I have these I have just discovered, I have uncovered, I have inventoried these things that are good about me, that are neutral about me, that I don't like about me. In acting through some of those character traits, I have harmed other people. And in step eight, I become clear about who I harmed and how I harmed them and become clear that I need to make amends. I need to make it right in some way. And that might be saying, I did this thing. I'm really sorry. I, I'm i admitting that I did it. I own that I did it. And I apologize for that. In some cases, in many cases, I need to go beyond that and say, this is how I'm going to try to behave so that I don't do it again. And that's what happens in step nine. So steps four through nine for me, step nine um, made direct amends to those persons we had harmed except when to do so would injure them or others, right? In steps four through nine, I am getting clarity and I'm acting on behalf of that clarity um, to clean up, to clean up my life. So that's a huge part of the program is this, this getting clarity and acting on it. It was one C. Second C that she identified as connection. Well, what is our program of Al-Anon or any 12-step program about if it's not about connection? In the original program, the Alcoholics Anonymous program, the central feature of Alcoholics Anonymous is one alcoholic working with another. I think the central feature of the Al-Anon program is one Al-Anon working with another. We have to make those connections with other people. You know, when I came to my first meeting, I was alone. I was in the center of this whirlwind. I was dragged down by this disease of alcoholism, and I didn't have a way to share that with anybody. I had to take it all on myself. And wow, what a burden. And at the end of my first meeting of Al-Anon, the one thing that I was sure of was that I was not alone. 
that there were other people who understood and that if I could connect with them, I might find a way out. So connection is the core or one of the cores. Certainly for me as a newcomer, connection was the most important thing that I found in this program. That is what brought me back. That is what kept me coming was a connection to other people who understood, a connection to other people who could maybe lead me on a path out. You know, this whole bit about clarity and inventory and all that, that came later. Steps, I was not there about steps. I was there about pain and alleviating pain. And the first thing that helped me alleviate that pain was connection. So yeah, connect, you know, go to a meeting, call a friend, get a sponsor and use them. And oh yeah, there are, there's connection in the steps. In step two, we come to believe that there is a power greater than ourselves that can restore us to sanity. Well, what do we need to do? We need to connect to that power, right? Maybe that power at the beginning for you is the meeting. Maybe that power is, you know, the God of your already understanding. For me, that was not true, but but there was something greater than me that could restore me to sanity. And man, I was going to connect to that. In step three, we make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of that higher power. And man, that's a solid connection. Okay. I turned my will and my life over to the care of the program of Al-Anon. I turned my will and my life over to the care of a power greater than myself. Whatever that power might be, God, as I understand him, I couldn't use that word God, but I can now. I don't know what God is. I don't know what God looks like. I don't know what God feels like. Well, I know know what God feels like to me. Um, But I don't have to define a higher power. I just have to connect. I can feel the connection sometimes. And I can make a connection. And I can use that connection to help me heal, to help me grow, to help me make my way through those scary steps of inventory through a man. So connection is the second C. The third C is compassion. Compassion is a tricky one. I think for a lot of us in Al-Anon, it's a tricky one for me because I can feel compassion for other people so easily. That is part of my disease is I want to feel compassion for other people and I want to fix them. I want to help them. That's sort of unhealthy compassion. But if I can take that and I can turn that to myself. Can I turn that to myself? Finding compassion for myself. How does that happen? How that happened for me is listening to other people tell their story and identify. And when I can identify, when somebody else talks about a stupid thing they did, and we all laugh about it in the meeting because that's what we do, And I recognize, you know what? I did that same stupid thing. And I can feel compassion for the person who just shared. Can I take that and turn it around and apply that same compassion to myself to recognize that just as I see them as a normal, flawed human being acting as best they can with what they have, can I turn that around and see myself the same way? That is how I get compassion for myself. That is how I'm able to still that painful 
destructive, negative self-talk. When I see myself as human, when I see myself as flawed but human, doing the best I can, then maybe I don't say, you're so stupid. Maybe I say, you know what? You're human. You messed up. You'll do better next. And I love you. This is where I start to find love for myself. It's by taking the connection with other people in the program, identifying that connection with myself, identifying their behavior with myself, identifying my compassion for them, turning that into compassion for myself. I can start to like myself. I can start to love myself. I actually maybe love myself before I like myself even. So the third C here, compassion. The final C, the fourth C, is commitment. When I came to my first meeting, and I felt a little better, so I came to my second meeting, and I felt a little better, and I started to say, maybe I can take what I hear here, and I can start to apply this in my life. I made a commitment. I made a commitment to change. I made a commitment to growth. And the commitment is to continue to apply, for me here and in our program, I think the commitment is to continue to apply the previous three C's, to continue to seek clarity, to continue to connect, to continue to feel and live a compassionate life. And this commitment in our steps, step 10, step 10, we commit to take inventory, and when we're wrong, promptly admit it, boom, clarity. Okay. Steps 11 and 12 are really about compassion and commitment. I see step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious connection with God as we understood God, praying only for knowledge of God's will for ourselves and the power to carry that out. I mean, that's about connection, but it's also about compassion in that we find in this program, I found in this program, a loving God, a loving higher power that has infinite compassion for me. And so God's will for me is that I feel compassion for myself. And step 12 is really all about commitment, but it's also about connection and compassion because not only do we practice these principles in all our affair, which is commitment, but we carry this message to others who still suffer. And that is connection and compassion. Although the sermon today on coming to trust ourselves more deeply, on removing that negative self-talk that takes us away from trusting ourselves was not a program sermon. It was not a 12-step sermon. I just throughout connected it to what I have lived, to what I have learned, to the way that I have grown, the way that I have come to love and trust myself in this program. So yeah, there is the recovery part of the program. And the recovery part of the program, I would say steps two through 12. Step one is also about clarity, really. So maybe all 12 steps are in those C's because there's this clarity in admitting my powerlessness over the alcoholism that was so permeating and dominating my life experience. So yeah, all there. So let's look back at what I opened here with this experience of doing step five on an incident that had shamed me and hurt me for 30 years. How did the C's apply here? How did these four C's apply here? 
Well, I gained clarity by taking an inventory. You know, now that I have the practice of taking inventory, I can ask these questions like, what motivated me? Which of my needs, which of my basic needs were involved or threatened in the that led to the way that I acted? You know, and I can begin to understand, as step five says, the exact nature of my wrongs in that incident. And in talking with my friend, as I admitted the exact nature of my wrongs, I also got a little more clarity as I explained to my friend what happened, how I felt, how I felt afterwards, <laughs> what I did. But I also made a connection with that person as I was admitting it. You know, I was not alone. I didn't have to just go down another rabbit hole with this. No, I was I was putting it out there and connecting and receiving back this unconditional acceptance and love that we can give each other when we recognize and have compassion for each other's strengths and frailties. In that reception, in that experience, I was assured that I was not a horribly broken person because there's that self-talk. You're so dumb. Nobody else would have done this thing. You know, not true, but I can tell myself that. But when I tell another person and they say, you're okay. Yeah, you did this thing, but you're, you're a good person. I know you. Wow. I mean, how healing, how healing is that? So this person, you know, this person's loving acceptance of my sharing deepened the connection, assured me that I was not broken and helped me to have compassion for that 30 years ago self. You know, I liked myself a little better and I trusted myself to be able to do, more likely do the right thing in the future. Because that's the other thing that happens when we go back to the mistakes we made in the past and we see those as fundamental to ourselves, when I see those as fundamental to myself, well, how am I going to trust myself to do things right if I did things so wrong in the past? So putting it out there, sharing it, receiving that loving acceptance says, yeah, I can do this right. I don't have to continue to be the person I was 30 years ago, whatever it was. So after our service, I was talking to the minister about this. I said, I really connected with what you said. Um, you know, I had this experience about somebody yesterday talking about loving yourself. And then you talked about trusting yourself. And I think I'm going to talk about this in the, in my podcast. Can I use your four C's? And she's like, oh yeah, absolutely. But in this conversation, she also brought up um, a book by Brene Brown, which I have talked about before, which is called The Gifts of Imperfection, subtitled Let Go of Who You Think You're Supposed to Be and Embrace Who You Are. I thought, you know, I think I've talked about that. So I went back and looked, and sure enough, episode 122, so what is that, five years ago, roughly? No, wait a minute, 270... Nine minus 122 is 150 something. So about three years ago. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, not a bad time to bring it back around. But if you want to hear what I said then, and, and I really talked more about the, her book, you can go back and listen to episode 122. It was good to, uh, to have this coincidence, this higher power coincidence of two different people talking about 
pretty much the same thing. Yeah. So the other reading that I found for this episode, I think this is a good one to close with. This is from January 24th, Encouraged to Change. I will dare to be myself. I may be tempted to paste a smile on my face even though I'm angry in order to please another person. I'm turning down an invitation. I may want to make excuses so that nobody will be hurt. I may be inclined to cancel plans that I care about without protest because a loved one prefers to stay home and I don't want to make waves. These may be perfectly acceptable choices, and I may opt for any or all of them. But today I will be honest with myself as I do so. I will not pretend to feel what I do not feel or to want what I do not want. Al-Anon does not tell me how to behave. It doesn't legislate right or wrong choices, but Al-Anon does encourage me to look searchingly and fearlessly at myself, my feelings, motives, and actions. I can only learn to love myself if I am willing to learn who I am. And the quote on this one is from William Shakespeare, this above all, to thine own self be true. The first song that I picked for this topic is one about confusion, which is a lack of clarity, right? Um, In this song, the singer really seems to be confused about whether he's really having the experiences that he's having or what they mean or whether they're really his. The song is Once in a Lifetime by the Talking Heads. And I'm going to pull some lyrics out here. And you may find yourself living in a shotgun shack, and you may find yourself in another part of the world. And you may find yourself behind the wheel of a large automobile, and you may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife. And you may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? And you may ask yourself, how do I work this? And you may ask myself, where is that large automobile? And you may tell yourself, this is not my beautiful house. And you may tell yourself, this is not my beautiful wife. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and in our lives. Well, I've talked a lot about what happened in my life this week, but if I go back a little bit, the uh, last Sunday, we started with the reading from February 3rd in the book Courage to Change. And part of it says, as a newcomer to Al-Anon, I heard that the principles of the program could lead to serenity. I'd have preferred to hear that the program would cure the alcoholic, undo the damage of the past, or at least pay the gas bill. My idea of serenity was sitting on a mountaintop with a silly grin on my face, not caring very much about anything. I was more interested in passion. And then this week, there was a very similar reading a week later, also encouraged to change, about creativity, about finding creativity when we come to know ourselves better, when we find clarity about ourselves. And both of these are really about finding the things that we like, the things that we like to do, the things that give us joy, the things that we have a passion about, the things that, you know, feed our souls. So yeah, really, really nice connection there. And I thought about the things that have happened the spiritual awakening, if you will, from step 12 that I've had since I came to Al-Anon, that I have found joy in things that I didn't even know I would like, that I have found a new passion for doing things that were not even anywhere in my vision before I came into this program. 
And actually, today's reading about creativity, uh, February 10th reading about creativity, I don't remember ever seeing that before. I think they just added it, added that to the book this year. Must be. Wasn't there before. Which is sort of one of the interesting things about the literature is that as we go back to it and as we read it, we see it differently every time, don't we? The rest of this week was more about more acceptance. I keep talking about acceptance. It's winter, okay? It's winter in Michigan, and a lot of about winter in Michigan is about accepting that things aren't the way I want them to be. It's cold, and it's gray, and it's wet, or it's snowy, or it's icy. It is what it is. You know, and I choose to live here. I want to live here. Do I have the right to complain? I suppose I have the right to complain, but really. So, yeah, the weather sucked. Um, We had more snow, and we had more cold, and we had more ice. We had a lot of ice. You know, and we just, we go through it. We, We do what we can. We accept what we can't. You know, when it's, when there's a quarter of an inch of ice on everything, maybe you don't go out. Maybe you don't say, oh, well, I've really got to go, you know, get this thing at the store that I don't need today, but today was the day I was going to go get it, so I'm going to go get it. No, you don't do that, right? On top of it, the cold that I had last week, you may be able to tell from my voice, still isn't gone. That kind of sucks. This is the longest I've had a cold in quite a while, but it is what it is. I took two days off of work because it was like, yeah, this is not a day to go to work. I mean, I could probably go and power through and make me and everybody around me miserable, but no, I should stay home. You know, and this is the program gives me this ability to say, what's the next right thing? You know, ask that question. And then when you get the question, when you get the answer, don't say, but I don't want this answer. So what's coming up? You know, last week I read a letter. I had a voicemail and a letter from Sharon who said, I like this topic of acronyms and alliterations. So acronyms like Q-tip, quit taking it personally, fear, false evidence appearing real. Alliterations like the three A's, awareness, acceptance, action, the four M's, managing, manipulation, mothering, and martyrdom, and many others, the four C's that I talked about today. So we have a lot of these things because they're little mnemonics that help us remember stuff, right? Well, what are your favorites? What are the ones that you keep coming back to? What are the ones that help you right now? And let's talk about them. You know, I would love to have one of these episodes where I get lots of people's voices calling in and say, oh, my favorite alliteration is the three Ks. I have no idea what the three Ks are. Okay, just made that up. Or... You know, my favorite acronym acronym is HALT, Hungry, Angry, Lonely, Tired, okay? You know, call in. Call, write, but preferably call. I love your voice. And, and tell me, what's your favorite acronym? What's your favorite alliteration? The six Ps, that's in step six in the book, Past Recovery. Go find it. And, uh, and let us know what ones you like, what one you like, and why. Yes, we welcome your thoughts. Please join the conversation. Leave us a voicemail or send us an email. And you can call and leave a voicemail at 734-707-8795. And if you're outside the U.S., it's plus one, 734-707-8795. 
You can use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer, and if you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecovery.show. We would love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, your questions about today's topic of do you like yourself, do you trust yourself, or any upcoming topics, including acronyms and alliterations. And of course, if you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. And I have a long list of topics people want to talk about. And I'll get to them. I will. The website is, as I've said, therecovery.show. We have all the information about the show there, notes for each episode, a page with all the ways in which you can contribute at therecovery.show slash contact, or tap or click on contact in the menu at the top of the page. We have links to the music that we talk about and links to other recovery podcasts and websites, along with the readings that we did and other books, videos, whatever that we might have talked about during the episode. And for each episode, you can find those notes at therecovery.show slash, and then the episode number, so therecovery.show slash 279 for this one. All right, got another song here. This came from Chris, and this song suggests connection to me. Hey, Spencer, I heard this song again recently, and it really, truly hit home for me. As I go through my Al-Anon journey, depression has been by my side. This song and the warm soul it exudes really helps me to get through the deepest darknesses. So please enjoy Mavis Staples singing, You Are Not Alone. And just a few lyrics here. You are not alone. I'm with you. I'm lonely too. Okay, I'm going to stop. Those three lyrics. You're not alone. I'm with you. So there's connection. I'm lonely too. There's compassion. What's that song can't be sung by two? A broken home, a broken heart, isolated and afraid. Open up. This is a raid. I want to get it through to you. Again, connection compassion. You're not alone. You're not alone. Every night I stand in your place. Every tear on every face tastes the same. A broken dream, a broken heart, isolated and afraid. I ask you to call and write and by golly, you do that. Makes me feel great. Fiorella writes, Hello, Spencer. First, let me thank you for this podcast. I listen to it on my way to work every morning. Thank you for reminding us that we're powerless over the disease. Even though it's something I've been learning in my weekly meetings, I still think I can control it some way or other until I find myself back to square one with the answer I already knew. I'm powerless over his addiction. I love my boyfriend. Never thought I could love someone the way I did. My romantic relationships have always been a disaster. Most of the guys I met throughout my life were so into themselves that they could not appreciate what they had in front of them. I met my boyfriend through a relative. He's been the only guy who has felt proud to have me in his life, who admires me and accepts me for who I am. That's why I fell in love with him. We moved in together after nine months of dating, and that's when I started to realize his drinking wasn't normal. He went to detox for five days in June, came back and stayed sober for almost three months, and then relapsed. He went in for five days detox again in late September. A month later, he relapsed. In November 2018, he checked himself into rehab for 30 days, came back, and two weeks ago, he relapsed. Through all of this, the only thing that's been holding me is Ellen on Meetings, your podcast, and reading the literature. 
I know you can't give any advice. Is there a point in your marriage where you said you couldn't do it anymore and leave? And how did you learn how to detach with love, which is something I struggle with, especially when a relapse happens? I know it may feel like I'm not in the right path as for now, but I don't want to give up on finding serenity and putting my needs first. And the only way to do that is by continuing working on my program. Thank you for letting me share. Fiorella, an Al-Anon friend from New Jersey. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm with you there. And I think I talked about this similar question um, a couple of weeks ago. What, what I heard from somebody that was very helpful was, you know, basically every day, what do I want to do today? Can I stay today? Do I need to leave today? And I could ask myself that question and each day I could say, no, I can stay. You know, for me, where did that answer come from? And, and, a lot of things I think went into that one was, was really working the program for myself to, you know, use these principles of the program that, that can lead to serenity, even when everything's crazy. Um, another thing that I think was really important for me was hearing other alcoholics stories. And I did that by going to a lot of open AA meetings, open speaker meetings to hear that path of the disease that was so much the same and so much different. And to hear from people who had gone down, who had relapsed, who had, and, and to hear that they were now in sobriety helped me to find compassion for her struggle. But it really did come to a personal decision. Can I do this? Do I want to do this? And there were a lot of factors. There was ongoing love. There was commitment. There was longevity. You know, at this point, we were 16, is that right? 18 years married when I came into the program, almost 18 years married when I came into the program. And so, you know, that's a factor. Doesn't necessarily decide it. I know any number of people who've been married 25, 30 years and decide to leave. It really is that, that question every day. How am I feeling? Do I feel like I have to go? Do I feel like I don't have to go? Do I feel like I can do this for another day? Do I feel like I want to do this for a day? I think that may be important. So yeah, no advice, but some experience there. Hopefully that might be helpful. Oh, detach with love. That was that was the one where the open AA meetings, really seeing that she was in the grips of this disease. It was not a choice for her. It was not something she was doing to me. Um, and yeah, we went through a lot of relapses. And, and it was not easy. You know, it came to the point where, yeah, that was the decision. Got a letter from Anne. Hi, Spencer. This is a long overdue message to say how much your program has meant to me in my recovery. I stepped into the rooms of Al-Anon one and a half years ago, scared and confused. I went because I was told to go, and I'm a good rule follower. I don't really remember much about those first few meetings, but I do remember deciding it was not for me. What got me back in the rooms was a friendship with another woman who was navigating a similar situation and wanted to have someone to go with. So I decided to go along with her to help her. Ha ha, I know. That came up later in my fourth step. Something clicked that time, and I've been a regular attendee at my home meeting ever since. About the same time, I found your podcast, and it was literally a lifeline to me, drawing me back to sanity and giving me the reassurance that I could navigate this confusing time of my life. Thank you for the many hours you spend bringing this content to me and so many others. Thank you for being willing to be transparent and vulnerable. 
After I was in the program for about six months, someone asked me to be their sponsor. I felt completely inadequate for the task, but I remembered some of your early podcasts where you and your guests encouraged others to help those that come in behind them, even if we are only a little further down the road to recovery. Your podcast has been a huge help to me in the role of a sponsor as I learn what other people sponsors have said to them. Your podcast is one of the first resources I provide to new members of our group. Thank you for sharing recently how difficult it can be to come up with topic ideas, questions, music, etc. From a listener's perspective, you seem to do this so effortlessly. It was good to be reminded about how significant of a service this is for you in terms of energy and time. I, for one, am very appreciative. Keep letting us know how we can help. Sincerely, Anne. Thank you for that, Anne. Um, I just have to say that the first several times I was asked to be a sponsor, I didn't feel I was ready. The first time somebody said, I want to do step five, I knew I was not ready. But you know what? I think I was. But I went to my sponsor and said, oh my God, somebody wants to do step five with me. What do I do? And my sponsor said, listen, is it really that simple? No, it can't be that simple. But, you know, that's what I got. And lo and behold, it actually kind of was that simple. So, yeah, I didn't feel ready. But I did it because it was, you know, the thing to do, right? Like you say. Thanks, Anne. Chris writes, Hey, Spencer, love the show and all that you do to bring it to the world. Eric is a great co-host and the speaker episodes are a good change of pace. I've gained much needed insight from listening and know the podcast is a great source for me when I can't make it to a meeting. Thank you. My situation is a little different than most. My parents are my qualifiers. I'm not an alcoholic or addict, and neither is my spouse. I came to the program when I realized that despite not being an alcoholic, I sure was acting like one towards my children. It was my learned behavior. The same attitudes were playing out with my wife as well, and I knew things in me needed to change in order to improve those relationships. Now, over a year later, I can see so many areas where program has improved my life and increased my serenity. It is also crystal clear that my wife is very alanonic and is untreated as such. She is a trained psychologist and sees the rooms of Al-Anon as a room of people to instinctively analyze. Claiming to be an empath, she states that the rooms are too heavy for her to experience or gain benefit from. As such, she remains an untreated Al-Anon. The subject suggestion is being an Al-Anon working the program, but living with an untreated Al-Anon and all the unique challenges that represents. All the best, Chris. <sighs> well, first thing I'll say, Chris, keep coming back. Um, you know, I look at my wife who her primary program is not Al-Anon, but, you know, I feel like, man... She's dealing with these freaking alcoholics that she sponsors and friends in the program and relatives, and she could sure use some Al-Anon. I can't tell her that. You know, sometimes we go to meetings together when we're traveling. I've talked about that. She uh, was at a, a recovery luncheon today, mostly AA people, but they had an Al-Anon speaker, and she said, speaker was really good. And I'm like, you know, I can't, I, I cannot pull her or push her into Al-Anon. And that's where I come to maybe Tradition 11, which speaks of attraction rather than promotion. Just keep living your program. Keep working your program. And even if she doesn't come to meetings, she might pick up some stuff. Or it might just bother you less. And either way, you win, right? Thanks, Chris. Got an interesting note from Mary. She writes, 
So grateful for the podcast. Your podcasts are helping me start my recovery. Thank you, and I will continue to listen. Somehow, I keep encountering the 12 steps, as you will pick up in the following abbreviated real history of my close encounters. I grew up in an alcoholic home, the -the run-of-the-mill nightmare of childhood. At age 26, I was my brother's significant other while he was inpatient. I really didn't pay attention or even read the big book he provided. I just threw it on a shelf. I thought if there was anyone who was not going to make it, they had their man. However, I kept my thoughts to myself and just listened to him. He returned to work shortly after in a piano bar where the booze flowed, and I thought it was a nail in his coffin for sure. I listened to him say how the steps are a spiritual way of life, etc. Just feigned to listen. Then off I would go back to my own world 30 miles away. Finally, he moved far away and took this goofy stuff with him. 35 years later, he remained sober. Nine years later, I was recovering from a horrendous head-on collision in a body brace and had two small children. I plugged in Scooby-Doo so they would let me rest. It wasn't Scooby at all. Someone had recorded over Scooby, and on came this movie about Bill W., I think it was my husband, but he says he didn't. We watched this movie. Even my small children seemed interested in ages five and eight. I retrieved the big book from the shelf, blew the dust off the cover, and started reading for the first time. The next week, we went way out in the middle of the nowhere so that my son could play with his newfound kindergarten friend and the parents could meet. I was in no shape to be going anywhere, and after much badgering from my son, our family went. I went very reluctantly. They had invited us to dinner. Ugh. We really clicked as family friends from the moment we met. In order to get further acquainted while the host, with the hostess while she was working on supper, I looked at pictures and asked about them. I was looking at photos on the hall table and inquired if one photo was the hostess's grandparents. Her reply was one that floored me. The only time I felt as if my hair stood on end. She said it was indeed her grandmother, but not her grandfather. It was her grandmother's brother, and although she didn't know the specifics, he had co-founded AA. I was staring into the eyes of her Uncle Bill, great uncle to be technical. They changed subjects and went right on with the meal. They obviously had no need for AA. They didn't drink and were like Mother Earth type folks, unassuming and humble. Over the next few months, I gingerly approached the Uncle Bill subject again. She said she had visited his home with her family when he lived in Vermont during her preteen years. She was pretty young, but he was a lot of fun, as she remembered. He did have some kind of depression, also. Uncle Bill died when she was an early teenager. She showed me family photos and letters when I asked more about him. They had his pump organ and other items. They said they knew that anonymity was important to his work and also to them. They seemed to be so uninterested in the topic. My son and his kindergarten friend remain best of friends all these years later. Every time I see his friend, all I do is shake my head. He is just a reminder of the program, as are his parents. So that's how I began to work the steps in 1993. However, I only worked them for anxiety and did obtain relief by turning things over and allowing God to be the director of my life. My brother mentioned that I had been affected by alcohol and suggested Al-Anon nine years earlier, but I didn't think I needed it. I wasn't affected by the past. Since that time, I have not been diligent or practicing the steps until a relative presented with alcoholism last week and I found myself in a full-blown panic. There are no face-to-face meetings close by here to attend, and I knew that the solution, if applied, I turned to the internet. I found a phone meeting and called, but it seemed to be more of a meeting about the government of Al-Anon and no real help for a panic state at all. Somehow I bumbled or was bumbled into your podcast. Wow, what a lifeline they are. 
Thank God that just listening and hearing Bob Jr.'s talk recently really helped and reminded me of what I had brushed aside in the busyness of life. Back to step one, but this time I readily admit that a family alcoholic can send off a cascade of emotions because of my lack of living the steps, period. I've been a registered nurse for 39 years and have dealt with many alcoholics and substance problems. However, it was my family and in my house, all objectivity went out the window. I'm getting too old for these wake-up calls, so thankfully you are out there and relatable. A real calm from the storm. So glad that God directed me to your podcasts. Sincerely, Mary. Thank you, Mary, for, for that um, interesting sort of historical uh, uh, vignette there, I guess. I don't know exactly how to put it, but uh, yeah. Got a voicemail from Brent. Hi, this is Brent calling from Scottsdale, Arizona. I just found your website. Thank you very much for doing what you're doing. I've passed it on to my home group. I found your website searching for the text that contrasts the alcoholic's obsession with our obsession, their anxiety with our anxiety. And I'm not finding that text. If you know where that text is, if you know what I mean, please pass it on to me. Thank you. Brent, I'm afraid I'm I'm really not positive that I do know what you're asking about, but I'm putting your voicemail out there because maybe somebody else does. So if you can answer Brent's question, please contact us, feedback at therecovery.show, and let us know and pass it on. Mark, whose email inspired last week's episode about why we do what we do or why we're here or whatever I called it, he writes, Spencer, Thanks so much for the What Do We Do Here episode, as it provided me with answers in such a thoughtful way, and I'm particularly glad that you took my email and questions in the spirit intended and did not take offense. The episode was similar in its impact on me to my earliest meetings in Al-Anon. Maybe I didn't do the best job in checking my motives before I wrote, but as I heard my email about the show read back and unpacked in detail, it brought me back to those early days when I first approached meetings in a mind so guarded and overcautious as to approach skepticism, even as I kept coming back and began to experience the benefits. By now, with a number of years in Al-Anon under my belt, I would have been able to incorporate a new resource into my recovery without backsliding into old traits. The light bulb went off for me when, during the episode, you likened the recovery show's conversational format to those times when members of a 12-step fellowship gather together informally for coffee or a meal. What has been familiar to me about the podcast is that it reminds me of those moments before and after a face-to-face meeting when members talk outside of the meeting forms. It is at once more relaxed, more natural, and sometimes a deeper exchange. For me, there is an additional parallel, because just as I am on a passive receiving end as a listener to the podcast, I am also frequently a bystander in those before and after moments. I can and do share openly during a meeting, but at its close, that connected part of myself still shuts off and shuts down, and I retreat back into isolation, even as I am edging towards the door. Until I listened to episode 278, I hadn't realized that my retreat in between meetings back into self-isolation has become a real emotional deficit in my recovery. None of this was in my conscious mind when I wrote to you or when I began listening to the episode, so I have the answer I needed, even though I hadn't been aware I was asking. Thanks again, Spencer, Mark. Wow. Okay. I don't know what I can say there. Um, I, I'm just, I'm amazed that I provided what you needed um, in in responding. And now I do thank you for the letter because sometimes I, I need to think about these things. And I also heard from another listener that that episode helped them to 
come to a decision about a question they had been facing, about something they were thinking about doing. Yeah, you never know. You never know. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses. You can help to support us and keep us on the web. We have a donation button where you can support us directly, just like Mary, Paula, Allison, and Barbara did. And thank you again, Mary, Paula, Allison, and Barbara, for your support. And thank you for your support in whatever form you give it. Whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, simply direct them to therecovery.show, or just listening. We are here for you. The last song that I picked is a song about compassion and self-compassion. It's called Heal Over by K.T. Tunstall. And again, some lyrics. It isn't very difficult to see why you are the way you are. It doesn't take a genius to realize that life is sometimes hard. It's going to take time, but you'll just have to wait. You're going to be fine. But in the meantime, come over here, lady. Let me wipe your tears away. Come a little nearer, baby, because you'll heal over, heal over, heal over someday. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.